Well, welcome today. It's great to have all of you joining us online, have everyone uh, gathering around in this moment. And what I want to encourage you to do today is go ahead, start a watch party, uh, text a few friends, uh, comment in the live chat. You can go crazy, smash the the love button. Uh, today is going to be a great day for us to get into God's word as we look into this big idea of who he is and the glory that belongs to him. And so as we talk about a big idea of glory today, uh, what, what I want to do is give you just a snapshot today of the story that you and I find ourselves in. When I say we find ourselves in, it's because we happen to find ourselves in a really big story that has been happening through time and space. And it's not our story, it's God's story. We just happen to find ourselves in it because he purposefully placed us here at this time. But the other uh, dimension of this idea is that we will find ourselves in this story. We will find our identity, we'll find our strength, we'll find our focus, we'll find our perspective, we'll find peace, we'll find love, we'll find grace as we step into the story of his glory. So let's press into that. Here is our theme passage uh, for this message series. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts, that our heartbeat is for his glory, that our hearts are focused on who he is and what he is doing in the world and that all glory goes to him. So let's look at what this uh, big idea of glory is like, but first let's pray together. So God, I ask that you would pour into me uh, a message of preaching today. And I ask for everyone who's receiving this, that their hearts are open to hear your word, not because of me, but because it's so full of your glory and that our lives would reflect who you are. And so I thank you for that. And I thank you that you have called us into this great story in Jesus name. Amen. Well, when we talk about glory, when we talk about this big idea of who God is, uh, your mind can actually capture a lot of different thoughts about him. But what might happen is you might get distracted from the story that God has for you. In fact, what your life might actually end up, well, some of you may be like, like me. You might feel a little bit like you're under the microscope. Now, when you're under a microscope, you know how a microscope works. A microscope focuses on something that's really small, and it makes something that's really small really big. And when you are under the microscope, what that usually means is that someone is putting you under critical examination. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never really woken up saying, man, today I hope that I am under critical examination. In fact, most days I want the opposite. What I want for my life every day is I want an abundance of grace. I want abundance of opportunity. But what I don't want to be is under someone else's microscope. A microscope takes something that's really small and it makes it bigger. So you think about things that we magnify. Well, think about it from, from this perspective. We normally don't magnify the good things in life. 
For instance, it's very rare that a couple shows up to a marriage counselor and sits down and just says, hey, uh, for, for the next hour, we just wanted to talk about all the good things about each other. What we normally don't do with our managers in our monthly, quarterly, yearly reviews is hear our managers say, hey, I just want to tell you, you have been doing so amazing on everything. I just want to magnify all of that as we put you and your work under the microscope. And what we normally don't experience when we're on Facebook and we see that one relative's uh uh, political viewpoints or that one friend's political viewpoints. What we normally don't go to in the process is saying to them, uh, Hey, I just want to say that even though I disagree with you on all of that, that is such a well thought out point. It's actually pretty rare that we magnify what's good. And I think it's interesting that our minds are focused often on the flaw Now, when you talk about God, there is no flaw in him. And not only that, but when you talk about magnifying God, you wouldn't do it through a microscope. In fact, a microscope would be quite the opposite of what you would do with God. For instance, if you tried to place God under a microscope, he just wouldn't fit. Psalm 33 verse 7 says this about God. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. This is the star breather God. In Isaiah chapter 40, he says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power. Someone say great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Not one of them is missing. This is the God who knows the stars He calls them by name, calls them out one by one. He doesn't quite fit under the microscope. In fact, if you want to see God, what you probably need is you need to exchange the microscope for a telescope. If you take a a microscope and a telescope, they both have eyepieces and a lot of microscopes and telescopes are built with mirrors. And so what I want to do is as we look at this big idea of a microscope and a telescope and how it shows off the glory of God. Well, when we look at God through a telescope, what a telescope does is it takes something that is very small, but the reason it's small is because it's far away. And what it does is the telescope begins to make something that is far off, that appears small, actually look as it really is. So a telescope is used to capture a star. A telescope is used to capture a galaxy. Some of the most beautiful views throughout our universe are captured for us to be able to see through a telescope. And Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God The skies proclaim the work of his hands. What does it mean for the heavens to declare the glory of God? And even more, what is glory? For a lot of us, we understand the idea of glory, uh, or maybe we would wrestle with the idea of glory because it's not quite as clear to us as pizza. You know, pizza is pretty clear. You need some bread. You need some tomato sauce. You need some cheese. 
uh, one of the people that, that I work with, Mike Carnuccio, he always tells me he's Italian. You just need some bread. You need some sauce. You need some cheese. I got a terrible Italian accent. But what I can tell you is this. We all kind of get what pizza is. But when you talk about glory, how do you actually determine what glory is? See, glory looks a little bit different in how we describe it. It's kind of like trying to put words to uh, beauty. For instance, you say, she's beautiful. Well, I agree with you, she is. But how do you define beauty? When you talk about um, a sunset and you say, this sunset was so beautiful, completely agree with you. But how do you define it? When you look at something um, beyond us that just captures our eyes, captures, captures our imagination, we look at that and we say, man, that is beautiful. There's something about that that just impacts my heart, impacts my spirit and my mind in such a way that when I look, I want to continue to look and to see, I believe that's why God created beauty for us is to enjoy his creation, to enjoy him in all of these things. But don't miss this in the process. When we talk about beauty, we're getting to this big idea of glory right here. And glory is like beauty, a little bit difficult to describe. And yet when you see it, you can't quite look away from it. In Isaiah chapter six, verse three, the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The earth is filled. And you would think that they would say with his holiness. But instead of saying filled with his holiness, they say that it's filled with his glory. That God's glory is what the whole earth is filled with, that you and I get to experience and to see and to understand and to comprehend. This is God's glory. Now in the Hebrew scriptures, the word glory is the word kavod. Everybody at home say the word with me, kavod. Now put it like, like, a, like you have a little bit of chutzpah in the Hebrew spirit and say kavod. Kavod means to have some weight, to have some heaviness to it, that there's a, a, a sense of honor, that there's a sense of weight that's given to it. So when something is more weighty, it carries more glory. That's how they would describe it in the Hebrew scriptures. But in the Greek scriptures, they would say doxa. And so the word doxa is the word glory, but in the Greek, it's a little bit more like something that is illuminated. So when Jesus is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, that's doxa happening there. It's light, it's bright, it's the beauty and the glory of God that's everywhere. That's the big idea of glory is that there's a weight to it, that there's a heaviness to it that's different from everything else and that there's a brilliance to it. There's something that dazzles our spirits, that creates a sense of wonder inside of our hearts when we look and we see God in his glory. So John Piper describes glory like this. What is it? He says, I believe the glory of God is the going public of his infinite 
worth. That unlike anything else in the universe, God is of infinite worth. I define the holiness of God, he says, as the infinite value of God, the infinite intrinsic worth of God. And when that when, when that goes public in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God and human beings are manifesting his glory because we're created in his image and we're trusting his promises so that we make him look gloriously trustworthy. That his holiness is his intrinsic value, but his glory is what you see all throughout the universe, because his glory is his holiness made public. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about glory and he said that God's passion for his own glory was actually what really hung up C.S. Lewis from moving forward into faith. He said, my whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the, the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing. We can't help it about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is it's appointed consummation. It's not just something to enjoy it. But when you enjoy something, you praise it. You love it. You want to talk about it. You might even want to sing about it. This is what we naturally do as people is we praise. When we see something we love, we magnify it by praising it. This is just how our hearts beat. This is how our lives work. And that was the thing that kept C.S. Lewis away from God because in Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah 42, the Lord says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. I am not going to yield my glory to another. That's just not what I'll do because God is not going to share his glory with a lesser being in the universe. What's interesting is that God has so designed it that you and I, when we would praise his glory, that we would experience joy in our spirit, that in the worship of him in the praise of him that we would experience our greatest satisfaction, our greatest joy as we look to his glory. If we look to anything lesser than him for, for glory, if we look to anything lesser to magnify its glory, we would be, well, I can say we wouldn't be satisfied in it to a full completion. We wouldn't experience all that God has for us because God in and who he is, is enough, sufficient, perfect of infinite worth, unlike anything else in the universe. And so we naturally look to praise something in life. What God gives us an opportunity to do is to say, I will praise you. I'm going to give the glory to you. You know, I love going to lunch with one of my friends. His name is John Rossi. John's from Queens, New York. And when John takes you to a restaurant, if I got on the phone with him right now, he'd say, oh man, 
what I miss so much in quarantine is this. I miss the Cajun King, the Cafe Cacao, Fungs, because that place rocks. The thing is, when John, John is such a foodie that when he talks about something he loves, he can't help but praise how good the things are. That's how we are in life. And God is looking to us and saying, you could spend your life praising what is supremely valuable. You could spend your life just worshiping and finding satisfaction in me. And I was wondering what would happen in our lives if we make God's glory the theme of our life. You see, when I try to magnify me, life gets pretty small. But when I see that life is about him and his glory and who he is and his power and his strength and what he has done throughout time and space, I understand I'm in a story that is way bigger than I ever would have imagined. I'm in a story that's not my story. It's his story. And I just happen to find myself in it because out of his great kindness and mercy, he placed me and purposed me here at this time. You know that God has placed you here at this time. I love in Psalm 139, it says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. What an incredible promise of God about who you are in how he sees you, in how he made you, and why he placed you here. God's glory is incredible. I love in Isaiah 26, 8. This is our declaration of glory. Isaiah 26, 8, once again, it says, it says this, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Your name, your fame, that's what our hearts are beating for. Because we found in the process that when we try to make it about us, when we try to get all of the fame, when we try to get all of the focus, it never quite satisfies us. We've tried so many different things in life to fulfill ourselves, but it, when it's about us, it just doesn't work. But God, what we want to do is we want to look at you and see your glory and see your power and see your might and say, oh, wow, it really was about you the entire time. You see, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, I love this. It says, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That even our sins... God forgives them to make himself look incredibly glorious. What I'm saying in that is that even your darkest moment makes God look incredibly glorious. Even your worst day just makes him look better because he shows up for you in your worst moment. In Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? graciously give us all things. He didn't spare his son for you and me. Instead, he gave everything for us. He gave everything for us. The one who won't share glory, sacrificed everything to make himself look even more glorious and so that you and I could experience eternal enjoyment in Jesus. 
Man, that's an incredible promise. That's an incredible theme. In Isaiah 26, 8, again, I love how it says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. We wait for you. And right now there's a lot of waiting going on. What if you shifted your waiting from just getting to the other side of this to God, I want to wait for you. I'm walking in your ways. I am waiting for you. God, your heart or my heart is beating for you. My heart is focused on you. My mind is focused on you. My eyes are focused on you. You are everything to me. Instead of saying, God, you're a cosmic butler and I expect you to show up and do what I want when I want it. What if we just simply said, God, it's about you and your name and your fame. That's the passion of our hearts. And we just want to say, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of everything. And so we wait for you. My question is, what are you magnifying today? Like, what's the thing that has all of your focus and it's getting blown up? It could be a microscope or it could be a telescope. Often, that's how we view life is either through a microscope, my situation and what's happening and their flaws and how they're not enough and what they're doing that's frustrating me. Or when we shift from the eyepiece of the microscope to the eyepiece of the telescope, then we start seeing the glory of God then we start seeing God as he is. Then we start seeing just who this God is. You know, there's this incredible uh, thing that was created over 25 years ago. It's called the Hubble Space Telescope. And uh, it's actually this incredible telescope that is orbiting our planet. I'm sure you've seen some of the images from the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, if you look on online, I think it's at NASA Hubble. Uh, it's doing pretty well as far as a following goes for a telescope. It's got 2.9 million followers. So I was thinking that it would be an interesting moment for the telescope one day, which has been taking pictures of the universe. What if it actually understood what it was capable of doing? You know, what, what, what I think would happen is this. I think that the NASA Hubble Space Telescope would say, you know, the universe is pretty amazing. But I got to tell you, what has really been missing for a long time and what the 2.9 million followers have been missing is actually like what the Hubble Space Telescope is capable of and just kind of how amazing I am. You see, that telescope would probably just reach out its antenna and take out a couple of mirrors and turn it back towards itself and start just taking a few selfies. So that everything in time and space that we could actually see what's really important, it's not all the pictures out there, it's the telescope that's showing off how amazing the universe is. You know, the universe is really amazing, but what, what the telescope is saying is, I think it's time for a little more self-love. 
I think it's time for a little bit more, you know, just, just a little bit more me. I've shared a lot of the glory that's happening out there, but there's a lot of glory that's happening right here. So how about people get to see my mirrors? How about some people get to see just the amazing technology with which I've been created? It sounds silly. And yet for the past 10 years, we've been taking cameras attached to our phones and flipping them back to ourselves. You know, it started though originally when we handed it to somebody and asked them to take a picture. But then once that camera allowed us to flip it around and we had a front facing camera, oh, wow. Now I can take this picture. And at first, like those pictures were, were good. But then we found out what was really good was duck lips. Because duck lips are the things that really make everybody hit the like button. And then from there, what it became was, I just need to share more of who I am and more self-love and more me and what I start sounding like right now is I start sounding like a selfie hater. Now, if you saw me on Instagram, you know that I, I actually take a, a selfie here and there. And I'm not here to hate on, on those. What I am here to say is you and I were made for his glory. And it's really easy to make all of life be about us to magnify and put our own lives under the microscope. And I just wonder if maybe the reason why we have so much depression and anxiety in the world is because we took our cameras and instead of focusing out, we flipped them around, focused on ourselves and tried to gain attention and focus. And my friends, what I want to say is glory is a lot of pressure for us to carry. It's a lot of pressure for us to carry. And God says in Isaiah 43, seven, everyone who is called by, by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That you and I were created for his glory. That we were created for his purposes. That we were created not to add to his glory, but rather to reflect and to show and to let people experience just how good and wonderful and beautiful he truly is. And so my question is, what would it look like? Because you and I, we're always magnifying something. We can't help it. And once we start magnifying it, we either start talking against it or we're praising it. Here's my question. What if you and I decided that we were going to make life about God? What if we just took in our spirits, we took in our hearts, this big idea of Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in your ways, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Your name, your fame, that's what we're all about. It's not about us. We're going to focus on you. Our lives are really just to reflect you. Can you imagine 
just what God might start doing in our lives if we just welcomed him in to that space. If we said, God, this is all about you. Our lives, our hearts, our marriages, our relationships, our work, every little thing we're doing, it is all for you. We are here for you, for your glory. That's why you made us. We don't have to search for glory. We found it. It's in you. And what we want to do is spend our lives reflecting it. Can you imagine how that would just take the pressure off of always having to be right? Like you just wouldn't have to be right all the time. You say, it's not that big of a deal right now. And when we got tired because we were working hard, we just said, I don't know if I could go anymore. We realized, I think I can give a little bit more because it's not about me. It's actually about giving everything that I am for him. Like what would happen in our lives if we said, God, you get all the glory. It's all going to you. It's for your name and your renown. And we looked at the creator who said to Moses, when Moses felt really insecure about who he was, and he said, you've called me to a great thing. Who do I tell them has sent me? And God only said to him, I am. Because this God of glory is not just the God of the past or the God of the future. He is the God of the present. He's the God who says, I am with you in this moment. I am for you no matter what happens. I am by your side and I am going to strengthen and establish you and continue you forward. Even in the worst moment of your life, I am the God who has placed you here and purposed you for such a time as this. What would it do? Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in your ways, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Let's all just pray that together today. Yes, Lord, walking in your ways, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.